Welcome to the Dauntless Faith Podcast. This is your host, Leslie Ani. Today, we will continue our in-depth study of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15-17. through 17. Again, let's read the passage to get the context. Beginning with verse 15 in the ESV. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In 1 Peter 3.15, we are told to be ready to give an answer for our hope and that we are to give that answer with gentleness and respect. At first glance, it appears that both of these words, gentleness and respect, address what our attitude should be toward the person who is opposing our faith or asking us the questions about our faith. However, as we look at the other Bible versions, then dig into the Greek words for gentleness and respect, we will see that this is not the case. The King James Version uses the words meekness and fear, while the New American Standard Bible uses the words gentleness and reverence. The word gentleness, that is meekness, addresses our attitude toward the person with whom we are sharing or defending our faith. But the word respect, that is fear and reverence, actually addresses what our attitude toward God should be as we share our faith. The Greek word for gentleness also means meekness and mildness. Right off the bat, I know that I have to work on this. I am passionate about who Jesus is and how much I love him. I am passionate about the Bible being the word of God and having authority over our lives. But this doesn't always come out gently. The definitions from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary will help us further understand how we should respond to people who are opposing our faith in Christ or asking us questions about our faith. Gentleness means kindness and sweetness of disposition. Gentleness is rooted in love for people and a desire to want the best for them. That best is seeing the glory of Christ and how true happiness how eternal happiness is found only in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. When people oppose our faith, we need to remember that we are not in battle with them. The same goes when people who claim to be Christians bring false teaching into the church. We are not in battle with the people themselves. We are in a spiritual battle for the souls of unbelievers. We are in a spiritual battle for the steadfastness and fruitfulness of believers. We are told about this spiritual battle that is going on for our souls in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We saw a glimpse of this battle last week when we read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24-26. through 26. These verses encourage us to be gentle and kind to those who oppose the Christian faith so that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth 
and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Satan is real, and he is more than some cutesy cartoon character playing stupid little tricks on us. Satan is a vile creature who does everything he can to keep angels and humans alike from fully trusting God with their lives. We see in Revelation 12 verses 3 through 9 that Satan convinced one-third of the angels to follow him and walk away from heaven and the glory of God. Can you imagine being in heaven and seeing the glory of God and still walking away? The other word for gentleness is meekness, which means to be free of any pride and arrogance. We don't believe in Jesus because we know so much and we are so wise. In fact, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and John chapter 16 that the only reason we understand the scriptures is because of the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth. We believe in Jesus because of God's grace and because God is working in our lives. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 states, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We see in Ezekiel 36:26 that it is God who gives us a heart and spirit to believe. Hebrews 8:10 reiterates this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We aren't saved because we have never sinned or because our sin wasn't as bad as someone else's sin. We are saved because Jesus took all of our sins on himself and died a painful and horrific death on the cross to redeem us from those sins. 1 Peter 2.24 states, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Ephesians 1, 7-10 also reminds us that in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. In both Acts 11.18 and 2 Timothy 2.25, we see that it is God who works repentance in us. We have not done one single thing to be saved by Christ. Not one. The work of salvation is totally the work of our triune God. There is absolutely no reason for any Christian to respond to questions or opposition in arrogance to someone who does not yet know Jesus as their Savior. In fact, we need to respond to those who oppose Christ with mercy and compassion. That brings us to the third definition for the Greek word used for gentleness. Mildness means tenderness and mercy. Tenderness is expressing ourselves with a soft and gentle manner, while mercy is having compassion for someone else. Remember that this is a spiritual battle for our souls. 
While God is the one bringing people to repentance and salvation through Jesus Christ, Satan is battling for the souls of those who still don't believe and still don't trust Jesus for their salvation. Satan is holding them in bondage and in darkness. We just read in 2 Timothy 2.26 that those who oppose the gospel of Christ are in the snare of the devil. That is, they have been captured by the devil to do his will. We see in 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3-5 through 5, that if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, that is God with a lower G, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Not only does Satan blind unbelievers to the true gospel of Christ, but he also masquerades as an angel of light and leads people away from God with false gospels. I met a woman a few months ago that was all excited about this so-called prophet that she was following. Apparently, he had died and he spent five hours talking with Jesus face to face, receiving new insight into the Bible. She was so excited because as it turns out, quote unquote, we win the war. I reminded her as gently as I could that the book of Revelation already gives us the outcome. The fact that we win the war has clearly been revealed in God's word. There's no need for new revelation. She couldn't even process what I was saying. She just looked at me blankly. And then she excitedly went on to explain that this man would go into his room for 10, 12 hours at a time, praying in tongues the whole time. After that, he would write a book without knowing what he was writing. And these books that he thoughtlessly wrote without any Bible study supposedly give all new insights into the Bible. Sadly, she was so caught up in the mysticism of the whole thing that there was no reasoning with her. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the complete revelation from God. We are seeing a lot of this New Age spiritual nonsense flowing into the Christian church and leading people away from the true gospel of Christ. Anytime we hear of someone claiming to have met Jesus face to face or going into some kind of prayer trance and then coming up with new revelation, we need to remember what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their actions. Unfortunately, this end that will correspond to their actions is spending eternity in hell with the one who has deceived them. This is why we cannot give up on people who are being held captive and led astray by the devil. Mercy and compassion do not mean that we share the gospel once and never share it again. In the parable of seeds in Matthew 13, we see that when the gospel of Christ is preached, Satan snatches the word of God from some people's heart before it even has a chance to take root and bring them to repentance. We must keep planting those seeds of truth and pray that they will take root, that God will work repentance and belief in their hearts. 
We need to humbly treat people with gentleness, kindness, and mercy. How do we react when we see the sins of others? Do we react with grief because people are being led astray? Or do we gasp, oh, I would never do that. Or do we look down our noses at them in disgust? We don't always see what Jesus has saved us from. I received Jesus as my Savior when I was a teenager and I was baptized by immersion when I was 19 years old. But I didn't allow him to be the Lord over my life, that is, seeking him for guidance, until my mid-twenties. So I caught a pretty good glimpse of what a mess my life would be without a personal relationship with Jesus as Savior and Lord. However, when one is born into a Christian home and they come to know Jesus early in life and they are taught his ways from the beginning, they don't always see what Jesus has saved them from. The caution to remember is that we are not saved because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. Responding to unbelievers with pride or anger is not in keeping with the call on our lives to share the gospel of Christ. We should respond to people who oppose our faith in Christ or who are just asking us questions about our faith with gentleness and kindness, whether it is in person or over a social media platform. Colossians 4, 5-6 instructs us to act wisely toward outsiders, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. While we should respond to unbelievers with kindness and mercy, we should not be fearful of them. Especially, we should not be afraid of offending people with the gospel. The truth is that the message of the cross of Christ is going to offend people. The cross of Christ highlights the reality of sin in our lives and calls us to repent from our sins. That offends people. Jesus himself began his ministry by calling people to repent. Matthew 5.17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1.14-15 says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In 1 Peter 3.15, the Greek word for respect means fear, as in alarm, fright, or terror. This is the same Greek word used in other New Testament verses that express having a fear of the Lord, that is, awe and reverence for our Lord. For example, in Luke 5.26, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man, Those who witnessed the miracle were seized with amazement and glorified God and were filled with awe. In Luke 8.37, when Jesus, with all authority and power, drove those demons out of the demon-possessed man and into the herd of pigs, all the people begged Jesus to leave, for they were seized with great fear. In Acts 5.5 and 5.11, when Ananias and Sapphira tried to deceive the church and God about the money they made selling a piece of land, God struck them dead on the spot. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. 2 Corinthians 7.1 tells Christians to cleanse themselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 
In 1 Peter 1, verses 15 through 19, we are reminded that our response to Christ's sacrificial death should be obedience to God the Father, while turning away from our previous sinful passions. We should conduct ourselves with fear while we wait for Christ's return. This fear of the Lord refers to the awe and reverence that we have for our Lord. Reverence is a fear mingled with respect and esteem. Awe is a little different than reverence in that it is the emotion of dread or terror combined with an admiration for something great, but it doesn't include the love and affection one would have as a child of God. John Wesley's commentary for 1 Peter 3.15 says that this fear is a filial fear of offending God and a jealousy over yourselves, lest ye speak amiss. Filial, that is F-I-L-I-A-L, is referring to the loving relationship that a son or a daughter has with a parent. John 1.12 reminds us that it is only those who have come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior that have the right to become children of God. This fear, defined by Webster's 1828 Dictionary, is a holy awe and reverence for God and His laws, which springs from a just view and a real love for the divine character of God. Having a just view, that is a right view, of God means that we go to the Bible and study scripture to get to know the character of our God. We don't allow the worldly opinions and view of God that are floating around on social media or in the culture to define God for us. In one of the books produced out of this so-called progressive Christianity movement, which by the way is not a biblical Christianity, is a children's book titled, What is God Like? The book closes with this deceptive answer to this question. Whenever you're not sure what God is like, think about what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel brave, what makes you feel loved. That's what God is like. This is not a just view of God. This is a group of humans trying to make God in their own image. This goes back to last week's podcast when I said the culture does not want a holy God. They want a cute, cuddly, teddy bear God that's God with a lower G, that makes them feel good about themselves and feel good about whatever sin they cherish. Now for contrast, let's go to Exodus 19 and 20 when Moses and the Israelites meet with their holy God and experience the fearfulness of God's awesome presence. I'm only going to highlight some of the verses, but I encourage you to take the time to go back and read these two chapters. In Exodus 19, verses 10 through 13 and verses 16 through 20, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether it's beast or man, he shall not live. 
When a trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. In Exodus 20, verses 18 through 19, after the Lord gives Moses and the Israelites the Ten Commandments, we see the Israelites' response to the holy presence of our God. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses replied to them in verse 20, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The Israelites saw the thunder and the lightning. They saw the mountains smoking and trembling. They heard the loud trumpets and the Israelites were frightened to pieces. They were so much in awe of God that they backed away and begged Moses to be their spokesperson. The Israelites had an entire sacrificial system and priesthood that enabled them to have a relationship with this awe-striking holy God. Today, we have Jesus, who is both the sacrificial lamb and the high priest. Hebrews 4, 14-16 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hebrews 10 verses 12 through 13 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Through Jesus, we are able to boldly approach the throne of God. By God's grace, the guilt of our sins has been washed away, and the holy wrath of God has been satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross. But this grace, this boldness, should not lessen the awe and reverence due to our Lord by any means. As Moses said in Exodus 20.20, the fear of the Lord, this awe and reverence for the Holy God, should keep us from wanting to sin. Romans 6 verses 14 and 15 say, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. 
What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. We want to be sure that we are not using the grace of God as permission to keep on sinning like the ungodly people in Jude chapter 1 verse 4. Webster's 1828 Dictionary explains that the fear of the Lord should cause us to hate and shun everything that can offend such a holy being. We should be more afraid of offending God than we are of offending people. We should be more concerned about accurately representing God and the truth in the Bible than we are about appeasing the wicked ideals of a fallen world. This is why all of us Christians need to be more careful about how much time we spend having our theology and doctrine shaped by quote-unquote culturally relevant television, social media, movies, books, and podcasts. Our theology and doctrine must be shaped by in-depth study of the Bible. This may mean giving up something else in order to make the time to do more than just quick devotionals. If your favorite television show has been canceled, instead of replacing it with a new show, replace it with a Bible study. If you're listening to a podcast that is shaping your worldview to be more like the culture and less like the Bible, then replace it with a podcast on biblical or systematic theology. On this podcast, we will be studying more theology in future episodes. This first series is laying the foundation for why we need to be more diligent to make the time to study biblical theology and doctrine. In our next series, we will be studying bibliology, that is, studying the Bible and why it is the Word of God. We need to be better prepared to defend the reason for our hope in a way that holds God in awe and reverence. There is a blessing to increasing our time of Bible study. The more we get to know our Lord, the more we see how amazing He is. The more we see how holy and right He is, the more we stand in awe that He would even make a way for us to be completely forgiven of our sins and grant us repentance. The more we see His mercy and His grace, the more we will love Him and want to live in a way that honors Him. The more we live in a way that honors God above culture, the more distinct we will be from culture. The more distinctly we live for Christ, the better we will be at our jobs as Christ's ambassadors in a fallen world. This takes us full circle back to the more we study biblical theology and doctrine, the better prepared we are to share the gospel of Christ and to defend the reason for our hope. Matthew Henry's commentary for 1 Peter 3.15 sums it up well. He wrote, We should be able to defend our religion with meekness in the fear of God. There is no room for any other fears where this great fear of God is. Being ready to share the reason for our hope begins with God's great love for us. Then we grow in knowledge and in love for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we grow in knowledge and in love for our Lord, then we share that knowledge and we share that love for Jesus with others in a gentle and kind way. We'll close with 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please join me next week as we continue our study on 1 Peter 3.15-17. For more information on Dauntless Faith Publications and other Bible study resources, please visit our website at dauntlessfaithpublications.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and Instagram.